Uh, I might ask Derek. Maybe we could swap. You could, you could do two lessons next Sunday or next month, and I could do another one on third Sunday this week, uh, this month, because we're doing Sol- uh, Absalom again in the life of David, and I kind of don't want to wait another month. Uh, to get to part three, this is going to be part two of Absalom so- uh, Saga. And I don't want to go another month because you'll forget all the names. I'll forget all the names. We will all forget all of the names in the story in another month. Second uh, Samuel 13 through 14 as we think about what happened last time. Because you need recap. I need recap. I sat down to study for it this week and I'm like, what even happened last time? So Second Samuel 13 and 14, the story of Amnon and Tamar. Uh, Amnon, of course, is Absalom's half-brother. And Tamar is Absalom's full sister. And Amnon violates Tamar in a very bad way. And David does not deal with it. David just sort of, you know, it's, we have such little information in the narrative in this. But it certainly seems to be the case that David just doesn't really deal with the situation. Amnon does this horrible thing. And so after a while, eventually Absalom just murders Amnon. You know, I don't, I, we can understand that. We can empathize with Absalom in this case. He flees. He did a bad thing. Of course, Amnon did the bad thing first. Uh, eventually, Joab, there's this interesting story about Joab convincing this lady to go tell this story to David, uh, convinces David to let Absalom return. But then when Absalom returns, David doesn't really want anything to do with him. He just sort of leaves him off in his house and won't talk to him and won't deal with him. And so Joab has to convince him to have some sort of relationship with Absalom. This does not really jive with the rest of how David treats Absalom or thinks about Absalom as we go through the rest of the story. At the beginning, it doesn't really seem like David has much interest in his children. He just doesn't really portray that he really cares that much about what's going on in his kids' lives. And then at the end of the story of Absalom, we're going to see maybe he realizes he should have been doing that better the whole time. So we come to the middle act. The story of of Absalom is really growing on me as we study it. Now, it's got some horrible parts, obviously, some really brutal situations. But it's really set up like a narrative, an epic narrative. Uh, Again, it's true, obviously, but there's this sort of structure to the story. We have the prologue in chapters 11 and 12. That's the business with Bathsheba, Nathan, and all that stuff. And then we have establishing the characters in conflict in 13 and 14. Tonight, we have the fall, the hero's seeming defeat and, and failure. And then chapter 17 and 18, we have next week, the tri- not next week, a couple weeks from now, the triumph of the story. Quotes. The hero's defeat, the triumph, because none of the outcomes of this story are good. There's a lot of bad outcomes, is really what it is. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight The main lesson. I really try to do this, the main lesson of this set of verses here for us. Now, in the context of the story, these main lessons are not the same for the original audience, right? Thinking about the history of Israel. But for the Christian reading this today, what what do we take away? Number one is the idea of reaping what we sow. That's We're going to see some chickens come home to roost. I love that phrase. Some chickens are going to come home to roost tonight uh, in the story of David. That is a very biblical idea, not just in the life of David, but in overall, right? The things that we do have consequence that may come back to us. And then the second thing is acting in such a way that God can bless you, which we see at the very end, even though some bad stuff's going to happen to David tonight, he still is thinking about how he can put himself in a position to succeed. So, (coughs) excuse me, we begin in chapter 15, verse 1. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And again, this is after a couple of years he's been in Jerusalem. He's, he's sort of pseudo-reconciled with David, but not really. 
And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, that'd be David, his father, right? Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is from such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. And Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land, then every man with a dispute might come to me and I would give him justice. Now, you know, I don't, again, it's hard to see how he's phrasing this or how he's emphasizing words, but you can see what he's doing. He's basically turning people away and saying, David's not doing a good job as king. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get the people to think that David is slacking off. David is not ready to hear the things that he should. David's not really to do what he's uh, not ready to do what he's supposed to do. But if Absalom, if I were king, if I were king, you would have justice. You're not going to have justice with my father. But if I were king, and whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and hold him, uh, take hold of him and kiss him. And thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Uh, and this goes on for four years. Four years! I've been here, what, nine years? That's that's half the time I've been here. That's such a long time. Gwen is four years old. That's how much time is going on that he's doing this. And there's so many questions that come to my mind. Okay, Absalom was a disgraced prince living in house arrest, and now he's suddenly leading sedition. Not suddenly, it's, it's building over time. How did David not notice for four years? What is David doing as a king for four years that he's not noticed? Is it, you know, you get the sense... Absalom is turning people away. They're not, David's not going to hear them. Is David just thinking that suddenly nobody has any complaints that he needs to hear for four years? Like, what's going on with David at this point? Absalom then leaves for Hebron, secretly sets a plot up. He's going to take kingship from there. We see in verse 12, while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel. I'm going to have to say that name a bunch. Ahithophel the Gilonite. Remember this guy. He's important for later. David's counselor from his city, Gilo. Gilo. Uh, and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. I'm going to suggest as we go through... The, actually, let's read these verses first, and then I'll do that. Verse 13. A messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape from us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the edge of the sword. Now, as it is with most biblical narratives... Four years is a long time. Just sort of passes in the blink of a verse. There's a lot unsaid, and I have questions. David was the hero from his youth, right? He's the Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. He just in in chapter 16, no, Second Chronicles 16, uh, he or First Chronicles 16, he brought the ark back, right? The story of bringing the ark back to Israel. There's big party, big celebration. So we go from that, David the hero, to four years later. A lot of the people are ready for Absalom. What happened in those four years? What was David doing as king? And unfortunately for us, we are not told. I don't know. I'm going to suggest, based on the story, that he's probably not a great king. Now, he's a great warrior, right? We know that. David's a great warrior, defeating all sorts of Israel's enemies. So his it seems to be that his domestic policy is what's failing. His ability to rule well in a time of peace. Because David is a man built for war, perhaps. Again, we're having to speculate here. But Absalom is able to 
simply with his words, no, no, no fighting, he's able to basically convert a bunch of people in Israel that David's a bad king, convince them that he, David's a bad king and that Absalom would be better. And it's hard to say exactly why that is, but it, it does bring some questions to our minds about what David might have been doing in that time. Now, we get to some characters. There's going to be a lot of characters. Will be a test. Do not worry. Uh, I said will. There won't be is what I meant. There won't be a test. Don't worry. Although maybe I should give tests. Anyway, as we set up the next two or three chapters, a bunch of characters. We have he's a foreigner. Uh, Samuel 15, 19 through 21. He's an ally of David. I should have color-coded these. The king said to Ittai the Gittite, uh, Ittai the Gittite, what a good name that is. Uh, why do you go with us? He's with David. Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and an exile. Ittai answered the king, this is in verse 21, as the Lord lives, as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there your servant be. He's basically pledging loyalty to David, right? He's going to come up later. Forget Zadok and Abiathar, they're the priests. In verse 29, they carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and remained there. They went with David and David said, no, you guys should go back. Go back and take the ark uh, back to Jerusalem. When he fled, he go, they go, they'll come back as well. Ahithophel, we said this guy would come back. The wicked counselor, he's the guy that went from David to Hebron uh, to, to be with Absalom. It was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Uh, one of the things that comes up later in the story is this guy is revered in Israel. He's like the main smart guy. He's, he's so wise and the king listens to him and everybody listens to him. And he's like the main guy that everybody wants to get counsel from. And so David is very despairing because he's apparently on Absalom's side. David institutes a spy, Hushai. He's the spy that David sends back. 2 Samuel 15, verse 32. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped there, you're going out of, again, this is out of Jerusalem. Behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. Why would he do that? He's in mourning, right? He's sowing David, I feel sad for your struggle. David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant, then you, you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Their two sons are with them there, Ahimaz and Jonathan, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So, again, setting the stage. Absalom goes down to Hebron. Uh, David hears that everybody loves Absalom now. He leaves Jerusalem. Absalom comes back to Jerusalem. The priests come back with the Ark of the Covenant. Hushai comes back. Everybody's converging in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and this is how it's set up. We also see in David's fleeing a couple of disgraced princes, uh, princes Mephibosheth and Shimei. These are descendants of Saul, who you might remember David was very kind to in a previous lesson. This was months ago. David was very kind to Mephibosheth as the, the son of Saul, his enemy, but did not last once David was disgraced. 2 Samuel 16, 3, the king said, Where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he, this is Mephibosheth, remains in Jerusalem, and he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Mephibosheth has just been waiting for David to fall. Uh, 2 Samuel 16, 5, and then skipping to 11 and 12, he's 
out in a different place. When King David came to Bahrim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, as he came and he cursed continually. And David, this is later on, they say, why are we letting this guy curse us? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjaminite leave him alone, let him curse. The Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong he has done to me and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. David is reaching a low point. Right? This is him on the run. His son has ousted him, essentially, as king. The people love Absalom more. Not all of them, but a lot of the people love Absalom more. David has made a series of miscalculations, mistakes, and sins that have led him to this point of just total outcast and disgrace. Now the sons of his enemy, who he vanquished long ago, he didn't really vanquish, but who vanquished for him long ago, now they've come back to Point and laugh. But the real kicker, the worst part of this for David, 2 Samuel 16, 20. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give me your counsel. What shall we do? He's in Jerusalem. David's run out. Absalom's thinking, what are we, what are, what is our next steps here? Ahithophel says to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. The hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. This is the lowest of the low points. And in all this we have to ask, ultimate question of the story, right? Why? Why? Did God allow this, and I have in parentheses, or cause this? We've talked about this a lot in our, our class on lament. The difficulty in parsing causality, particularly as it relates to the Lord's discipline. Why did God allow this? Well, we know, of course, that David is cosmically significant. He's not going to lose. He, he's been promised that he, he will, he and his descendants be on the throne, although from David's perspective, David could be ousted and God fulfill his promise because Absalom is his son. So David doesn't know that, right, from the perspective. We, of course, know that Absalom is not the one meant in an eternal sense. Absalom is not the one that is meant to be on the throne, to lead to Jesus. So we know David's not going to lose. And God knows that. And yet God allows and or causes him to suffer this regardless. Even though in the grand scheme of things, you think about God's perspective... God knows that David's going to conquer. God knows that David will be victorious. But he allows David to suffer all of this even so. Why? Because despite David's good intentions, his holy purpose, and eternal significance, ultimately God allowed him to face the consequences of his actions. We know, I hope we know, that we will have victory in the end, right? You and me, we'll have victory. Victory over the devil, victory over sin, victory over death. But in the meantime, you better believe God's going to allow you to suffer the consequences of your actions. Now, if those are good actions, good consequences. Hooray for us. But if they're bad actions, like we talked about this morning, if you fall into apathy and complacency and go back to sin, go back to the old way of living. God's not going to let bad stuff go away. 
even if the promise is in eternity, if we're repentant, if we seek forgiveness, we'll be victorious. There might be some difficulty now. Ultimately, why did God allow this to happen? Because David rebelled. This is exactly what God said would happen. 2 Samuel 12, verse 11. Thus says the Lord, and why I say, why did the Lord cause him to suffer this? Because God said he would cause him to suffer this. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. This is after David and Bathsheba, right? I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, that is the sin with Bathsheba, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Why? Because David sinned and was deserving of consequence. When we sin, we are deserving of consequence. God has promised to eliminate the eternal consequence of that if we are repentant and seek forgiveness and submit to his will, as David did, right? He did do that. He repented. He sought forgiveness. We read it this morning in Psalm 51. But God has not promised to eliminate the earthly consequence of that sin. And in David's case, I actually went further and said, I know you've repented and I won't, I won't kill you, but I absolutely am going to bring some consequence for you. And so the question would be, why would we think we would be spared the same sort of treatment as David? Here, the idea of sowing what you reap, reaping what you sow, other way around. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Don't you think God felt a little mocked by David in the story of David and Bathsheba? Oh, David, he's, he, he's, he does all this horrible stuff. And then he probably thinks free. I did it. I had this sin and I got away with it. If nobody knew, I'm the best. And then Nathan comes and confronts him. Hey, I know you did it. And there's going to be consequence for it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That is, if we don't go back to the old way of living, right? If we continue to seek forgiveness and continue to seek what God wants... We will in due season reap. The in due season's the hard part. Because that could be a while from now. Could be the rest of your life from now. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is why it's so important to continually reassess and make the changes we need to in our lives. Even if you've made mistakes in the past, which I know you have because I have and everybody has, start sowing to the Spirit now. The sooner we start changing our lives, the quicker we can start reaping from the Spirit. Some things in this life, ultimately things in eternity, but the longer we keep going in our old lives, our lives of sin, our lives of rebellion, the more consequence here and now we will have to endure, not to mention the consequence in eternity. We can't let our struggle lead to bitterness as we think about, well, now I've repented, now I've, I've confessed, and now I've done all these things. Why am I still struggling and suffering under the consequence of this? God did not promise that. He promised that he would take away the eternal significance of your sin. But if you still struggle because you did something in your past and you're still struggling with the consequences thereof, that's not God's fault. 
That's our fault, because I did the thing. God did not promise to remove the physical consequence, only the eternal. Now, as we conclude, it's not all bad for David or for us. After the thing with Absalom and the concubine, this interesting bit at the end, and we'll end with the verse in the story. 2 Samuel 16, verse 15, Remember the spy, Hushai. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, Is this, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why are you here? I thought you loved David. Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for who the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel, his will I be, and I will with him remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son, as I have served your father, so I will serve you. Essentially, he's making the, I'm loyal to the office, not the man, right? That's what he's making, the argument. I'm loyal to the king. You're not, David's not the king anymore, so now I'm loyal to you. Now, we know that's not true. Even accepted the Lord's discipline. Isn't that what he said about Shimei? Shimei's cursing him, the, the descendant of Saul. David says, the Lord has told him to curse. Let him be. I'm, I'm having to deal with what I, I'm, I'm reaping what I sowed. Just, and maybe God will repay him later on, but we're not going to deal with it now. Even though David accepted the Lord's discipline, he still made plans for future success. The plan in this case, Hushai, you need to go back and ingratiate yourself to Absalom, and maybe you can thwart Ahithophel in the future. Which, as we'll see next week, that's exactly what Hushai does. He basically subverts Ahithophel, this great wise counselor. You might be undergoing some trial or difficulty right now, maybe even the discipline of the Lord, maybe not. And it might seem like maybe it won't in this life, but it probably will. Very few struggles are eternal. But are you acting in such a way now, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your discipline, in the midst of your difficulty, what are you doing now that the Lord can bless you in the future? Maybe that's how you're treating people. It's easy to be bitter and resentful and angry and jealous. But are you sowing the seed of your blessing by being gracious and kind and forgiving and loving? Maybe that's not manifesting now, but in due season you will reap that. Maybe our actions. It's easy, again, to struggle. Well, keep sinning. God doesn't like me anymore. I'm struggling because of this sin. Well, why not just keep sinning? What's that going to do in the future? Lead to more consequence later on, right? You're dealing with the consequence of a sin now. Stop sinning now so that in the future you can reap the benefit of that instead of more consequence for more sin. What are we doing now Lord can use to bless us in the future? Now, you're not going to send a spot into a foreign king's palace to subvert the will of the, the counselor. You're not going to do what David did. We understand that. But you are doing things now, even in the discord, that God can use in your future. Blessing. Actions. Maybe it's situations. Maybe you're in a bad situation, and it's time to get yourself out of that situation. Lord can begin to bless you in that way because you know the situation you're in is sinful. Could be any number of things. Can always make changes to what we're sowing. Up until when? Up until we're dead. But as long as we're alive, there's opportunity to change. 
And in the Lord's time, because that's what he says, right? In due season, it's up to God, not up to me. We will reap the benefits of that change. Maybe even at the same time that we reap some consequences of sin. This is not an either-or proposition. At the same time we reap consequence, we might even receive the goodness of God in reward. As we conclude, the question that we need to ask. If I'm undergoing some sort of struggle, what am I letting God teach me in that struggle? Some change I need to make, something I need to do more of, something I need to make better. Constant reevaluation. I like this lesson. The reason I, I wanted to plan it this way is so that we'd have this is after the New Year's lesson, right? Thinking about New Year's resolutions, thinking about being new and renewed. But again, that doesn't have to happen today. It has to happen when? Whenever you think about it, start to make the changes. And God will bless you for that.